Thank you, Matt. That was beautiful. Wasn't that beautiful? Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. I always love hearing Matt sing. What a blessing. Well, Happy New Year to everyone. And uh, Happy New Year to all of you who are online. Thank you for joining us. This is, I think, probably the biggest COVID crowd we've had yet. Um, so people are coming back little by little. I see a few people in the audience today that I haven't seen um, since maybe March of last year. So we're glad you're here and, and able to come back. We're still doing everything possible to keep people safe. And uh, we're glad you're here. A new year ahead of us. It's an exciting time, isn't it? A new year. Uh, new opportunities. Opportunities to do better what we've been doing. Or maybe start doing something new. And uh, we've got a great chapter in front of us. Turn with me there to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. It's the chapter about the raising from the dead of Lazarus. And uh, it's Jesus' greatest miracle besides his own resurrection. And it is the seventh miracle. Remember in the book of John, he calls them signs. Uh, miraculous signs and he only tells about seven miracles even though 35 miracles are given to us in the New Testament that Jesus performed that are given to us in detail there are many many other miracles several places we're told he healed everybody that was there and that he healed many people so many miracles but this is the the seventh in the book of John so this is the last miracle that John's going to talk about before the resurrection of Christ himself. It's a good chapter for the first of the year. It's about new life, new beginnings, and it's about storms that are sure to come along the way. It's about how to handle those storms. It's about your faith growing and increasing. It's about glorifying the Lord Jesus. And so these are great themes to remind us of here at the first of this year. Well, with that said, look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister, Martha. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for this wonderful chapter that's in front of us. Speak to us today. Through your word, we pray. Encourage each one of us as we start this new year. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Austin Carlisle was 15 years old when his parents divorced. And it, to use his terminology, it ripped him apart. He went to live with his mother. His father moved out of the country. He was 15, he, his mother lived two years, and she died suddenly and unexpectedly of an aneurysm. So he's 17 years old, now he's lost his mother, and his father lives out of the country. He was so angry that he literally threw his hands up in the air and cursed God. So he said he turned to music. He said, and I quote now, I had all this rage, and a lot of that rage was towards God. I could yell into the microphone, 
and get all that rage and hate into it. Austin started a band called Of Mice and Men, which took off like a rocket, hit after hit, and Austin raked in the money. He had inherited a genetic disorder from his mother. And in his years following that 17-year-old boy, his, he began to suffer with pain. Meanwhile, as he took in all of this money, he began to take drugs and alcohol until, as he put it, alcohol and drugs took over my life. He was miserable. One day, he got up on top of his tour bus and called his father in Costa Rica. His father, they spoke for a while, and he said to his father, what is wrong with me? What am I missing? What am I doing wrong? I'm depressed. I should be happy. My band is successful, and yet I'm still depressed. He said, and I feel so empty, alone, hurt, and lost. His father said to him, where is God in your life? Now that phrase stuck with Austin, and he began to look in his Bible. He began to read his Bible for the first time. And reading the Bible, he come to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And he come to believe that Jesus loved him and died on the cross for him and rose again. And one day, he called on Christ to be his Lord and Savior. He was saved. It was a beautiful thing. He did a spiritual turnaround. God delivered him from the drugs and the alcohol. But he still had this chronic pain. And finally that chronic pain got so bad he could not tour any longer. And so he gave that up. Put everything he had in a, uh, one of these you know, uh, security storage facilities. And he moved to Costa Rica to be near, near his dad. Now, everything he had was in that storage building, and he only had three suitcases he took with him to Costa Rica. And the storage building was paid for by a draft on his credit card. So without him knowing it, his credit card, this particular credit card, its time ran out. And so without telling him or warning him, the the storage company sold everything he had in his storage. And he says, that storage was filled with everything I had ever owned. He said, everything from my childhood, I had a vinyl collection, all of my recording equipment, even my mother's, Ashes were in that unit. He lost everything valuable, everything sentimental. All he had was three suitcases of clothing. Recently, Austin sat down with author Doug Bender. And in response to Doug Bender's questions, Austin said this, and I'm quoting now, I still don't have anything. 
I don't have a job. I don't know what's next. I don't know what God is planning. But I have so much more joy, peace, and happiness than I've ever had in my whole life. Now I'm still quoting. God showed me that everything I need is in Him. Wow. We're going to have some storms along the way in life, aren't we? Maybe you'll have some in this year. And in this year, I think it'd be safe to say the Lord wants to teach every one of us that we have everything we need in Christ. In Him, we have everything we need. He's teaching us that in chapter 11. Go back to verse 1 with me. There was a certain man named Lazarus. Do you know in this chapter, and one time in chapter 12, is Lazarus mentioned at all in the Bible? And yet he plays a big part in this great miracle. He's from Bethany. That's about... That's about two miles from Jerusalem on the eastern side. And uh, he had two sisters, Martha and Mary. It appears, you can't say this for sure, it appears Martha was the oldest, then Mary, and then Lazarus. I don't think these were older people. I think maybe they were the age of, or close to the age of the Lord's disciples and the Lord himself, maybe 30s, something like that. And now he's, he's uh, Lazarus is sick, maybe with an infection. A lot of people died of infections in that day, maybe something else. Look at verse 2, and he describes who Mary is. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, there, there's... There's a lot of Marys in the Bible. And that was a very common name. So now he distinguishes who this Mary is. She's the one who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, John hadn't told about that yet. He's going to tell about that in chapter 12. But remember, this was written about 60 years after the historical events took place. So people had talked about that and people would know, people would remember, oh yeah, that's the Mary that, I heard that story one time. She washed his feet and wiped them with her hair. This, this chapter in, in that story that is at the beginning of chapter 12 is such a beautiful thing. When I watched through the, those video clips I've been putting together, you know, for this study, I cried like a baby at the beauty of this chapter and at the pain in this chapter. When we see the pain of those two sisters, it's a remarkable thing. Well, and then verse 3, Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Here was their message. They didn't say, come healing. They didn't say, come quickly. They just said, the one whom you love is sick. By the way, you know, there's two main words for love that's translated love in our English Bible, agape, which is the strongest of the two, phileo, which is used of a man's love for a woman or a friend's love for a friend or a parent's child for a, uh, for a, uh, for a child, a parent for a child or a child for a parent. 
Phileo means friendship. That's this word. Not only did Jesus love Lazarus with a agape love that always does what's best for us, he loved him like a friend. He loved him with a fondness. Do you know, I, I want to be that kind of person, don't you? I want to be the kind of person, Jesus is already my friend, but I want to reciprocate. I want to be his friend and uh, have that intimacy and closeness that it seemed Lazarus had. And so they just said, come. Uh, they, they just said he's sick. The Amplified translates that last phrase, he whom you love so well. <laughs> And then verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, not ultimately, that's not the purpose of it, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. This is for the glory of God, that the Son of God himself may be glorified. Miss Denya and her husband, who went to be with the Lord Darrell, uh, Darrell used to say a lot of times, uh, to God be the glory in all the circumstances of life. Then you carries on that tradition of saying that often. When the difficult times come, God wants to bring glory to himself through those hard times. Now you can imagine these sisters, their hearts were breaking. Jesus said, the purpose of this is not death, but to glorify the Son of God, of course, himself. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now we have that stronger word, agape. He wanted to do what was best for them. He loved them so much. The Amplified puts it this way. They were dear friends and he held them in loving esteem. So he loved them. Verse 6 says, When he had heard therefore that he, Lazarus, was sick, he rented a horse and got on it quickly and went as fast as he could to Bethany to be with them. Doesn't say that, does it? We might think because he loved them so much, the verse before says he loved them so much he waited another two days. He abode two days still in the same place where he was. Look at your screen for a moment. There's a verse in the Old Testament, Isaiah 30, and therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. He's not waiting here because he's got too much to do. He's not waiting because he, uh, he can't handle the situation. He's not waiting because he doesn't love them because that's stated twice in these first four verses. He's waiting that he might be gracious to them. And he's exalted that he might have mercy. Remember that Old Testament word mercy? Loving kindness. He wants to pour out his loving kindness and mercy on us. So we ought to do what? We ought to wait ourselves. Wait on the Lord, it says. That's blessed. Happy is that person who waits on the Lord. So he waited two days, but his delays, the delays of the Lord are delays of love. He does that for our own good and for his own glory, as we see in this great chapter.
Now, when they get there, verse 17 tells us it had he'd been dead four days. Here's how those days play out. Let me just give them to you quickly. Jesus was about 20 miles from Bethany. Remember, we saw in the last of uh, the chapter 10 that he went to that place where John the Baptist was baptizing. So he's about 20 miles. That's a one-day journey. So they sent a messenger. So the day one, the messenger comes to Jesus. Now that very day that he came, and maybe shortly after he left, Lazarus died. And the second day, the messenger returns to Bethany, and Jesus waits. That's his first day of waiting. The third day, Jesus waits again. And the fourth day, Jesus leaves, one day journey, and arrives in Bethany. These are the four days that he has been dead. Now, look back at your text. Then after that, saith he, verse 7, to his disciples, let us go into Judah again. That is the area that Jerusalem is in and Bethany is in is that big area. It's called uh, Judea. And his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? He said, they tried to kill you last time you were there. You're going to go back there? Now remember, he's in this country area where John had baptized country folks, and many were believing on him. In Jerusalem, the crowd was antagonistic and wanted to stone him or arrest him. And so the the disciples don't much like the idea, you know, of going back into harm's way. And so Jesus tells them what you might say is a small parable. Look at it, verse 9. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? Now, we know there's 24 hours in a day. Jesus is talking about daytime, daylight, as opposed to the night or the darkness. There's 12 hours of light. If the day was divided perfectly, 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness. Of course, it depends on what time of the year, doesn't it? There are 12 hours in the day. If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. Now, he tells us a little parable because they're saying we shouldn't go. It's too dangerous. Also, this little parable takes into account waiting two days. Everything Jesus did, he did on the Father's timetable. He did it in the Father's will. So if you're walking in the will of God, that's like walking in the day. You have his guidance. You can see around you. You see the... The trap's coming. But if you're out of the will of God, you're walking in the dark. And you stumble and fall. You fall into one of Satan's traps and so forth. Jesus was right on time in God's schedule and nothing could happen to him till it was his time to go to the cross. So he wasn't afraid to go. He didn't want them to be afraid. He wanted them to trust him. So he said, let's go. Look at verse uh, 11. These things said he, and after that he said, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. 
Now, you and I know at this point in the story, we know, of course, he's, he's died. Uh, and Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. But the disciples didn't know that. And the word sleep is used in the New Testament for a euphemism for a believer who died because they're just laying there and, and it looks like they're asleep. And one day, the Lord in the resurrection is going to call them forth. And, uh, and so he uses this euphemism of sleep. And the disciples, as was often the case, they were not super saints. They were just like me and you. They all had different personalities. They all stumbled around sometimes. And, and uh, so the disciples didn't know what he was talking about. Then said his disciples, verse 12, Lord, if he, if he sleep, he doeth well, doesn't he? I mean, isn't that a good thing? If you've been sick and you're sleeping now, man, that's a good thing. Howbeit, Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he, was, that he had spoken of taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Can't get any plainer than that. Lazarus is dead. Now when you put that in the verse before it together, those verses before it, he's saying Lazarus is dead and I'm going to go wake him up. Well, that ought to put a little fire in the disciples' hearts and feet, shouldn't it? You're going to get to see it. This great miracle. And verse 15 he says, I am glad for your sake that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Now they already believed in the Lord Jesus as their Savior, but he wanted their faith to grow. I want you to believe more that I'm big enough to take care of all your needs. I want you to believe more in who I am and what I can do and that I'm all you need, as Austin said. I want you to learn that. I want you to believe that. I want to increase your faith. That's the same phrase that's used over in chapter 20 about this whole book and those of us who read it and study it, that we might believe. And if you've already trusted Christ, that means that you might believe He's big enough to take care of you through all the storms of life. He wanted their faith to be increased. So, this is going to be for the glory of God. And it's going to be for their good. That's how God arranges the affairs of life. Even in the most difficult, heartbreaking ones. And so he says to them, that To the intent that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. In verse 16, I heard a, I heard a, a pastor say one time when I was in Bible college, and it stuck with me. He said, verse 16 is the most peculiar response in the Bible. Look at it. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus. Didymus just means twin. And I don't know if Thomas had a physical twin or not. We're, that's really not confirmed in the scripture. Uh, maybe he did. Or maybe he's a twin because all of us, 2,000 years later, we kind of see ourselves in old Thomas, you know. We're all a little bit of a twin of Thomas. And then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm going to be glorified in this. Your faith is going to be strengthened. Lazarus is dead and I'm going to wake him up. 
You'd have thought Thomas might have said, Glory! Put on your sandals. Let's go see this great miracle. But no, he says, He's going to die. We're going to die. It's going to be terrible. Those stones are really going to hurt. That's Thomas. Thomas is pretty consistent in the scripture. He's consistently pessimistic. Consistently negative. There's only three times really when we see uh, much about Thomas. Look back at your screen for a moment. Here's the three times we see Thomas. In chapter 16 in our text here he says, let us go and die. And then in chapter 14, Jesus is speaking those poetically beautiful words. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I go, you, you know. And the way you know. And Thomas said, we don't know. Jesus said, you know. And Thomas said, we don't know. I mean, he could have at least said, I don't understand what you're saying, Lord. Can you explain it a little more? But not Thomas. We don't know. Lord, you're just wrong about that. You said we know. We don't know. That's Thomas. I always got something negative to say. And then the third time is after the resurrection, the disciples, everyone except Thomas, has seen the risen Lord. I mean, they were in his presence. They touched him, and, and it was glorious and marvelous. And, but Thomas wasn't there. And so they go, and they find Thomas, and they tell him, they, the Lord has risen from the dead. And you'd have thought again, he might have said, Glory! Hallelujah! That's the most wonderful thing I've ever heard. He didn't say that, did he? He said, I don't believe it. No, I don't believe that. I won't believe it unless I actually touch those scars with my finger. I won't believe it unless I can put my hand in that hole that was in his side. I don't believe it. Eleven of his best friends who knew Jesus well. I mean, that's a lot of evidence. And yet he said, I don't know, I don't believe it. A week later, Jesus appeared to them again, and this time Thomas is there. And Jesus, knowing all things, he said, Here, Thomas, reach your hand in here. Your finger, touch my hand. Put your, put your hand over here and touch my side. Thomas didn't have to do any of that. He just fell on his knees and said, My Lord and my God. Thomas was consistently negative. Some of us are that way too, aren't we? You, you, some of you out there are sitting there thinking, Yeah, I'm Thomas's twin, all right. Some of you online. Here's some things we can learn from Thomas. One thing is don't be like Thomas. Don't be negative, pessimistic, and doubting all the time. Not only you pull yourself down, you pull everybody down around you. Don't be negative. Don't be a Tom like Thomas in that way. Do be like Thomas, though, in your commitment. I mean, we've got to give credit where credit is due. He was willing to go and die. In Jerusalem, be like Thomas in your commitment. And then a third thought is this. The Lord can even use a doubting Thomas. Jesus didn't kick him out of the group. 
Jesus didn't say, I'm going to let the other guys serve, but you can't serve. You're too negative. He didn't say that, did he? He's got a place for me. He's got a place for you. Don't wait until you're a spiritual giant. Don't wait until you can get rid of all that negativity. Don't wait until you can get rid of this and that. Serve the, find somewhere to serve in 2021. Put your hand to the plow. Let's serve the Lord together. There's a lot to be done. Let's get busy and do it. Don't wait. And then... Let me share with you something. I think I have time for this. Dr. Norman Wright, in his book, A Better Way to Think, he writes, we're constantly processing, processing thoughts. Depending on how your mind is, how active your mind is, we can produce more than 45,000 thoughts a day. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And then he says, it might be compared to a flock of birds flying in and out of your mind all through the day. It's not all of our thoughts are conscious, he, conscious thoughts, he says. They're sometimes just fleeting thoughts. We don't even remember thinking them, but they're there. Then he says this. This is amazing. Every time... You have a thought, it triggers an electrochemical reaction in your body. Each thought sets off a biological process and about 400 billion at once. Because of that thought, chemicals surge through the body, producing electromagnetic waves. Those set off emotions which affect how we behave and how we live. Then he concludes, Sinus, science simply confirms what Scripture has been saying all along. We are shaped in large part by our thoughts. Negative thoughts become negative attitudes. Negative attitudes become negative actions. Negative actions become a negative life. And a lot of God's people, even God's people, are miserable because of negative thoughts. Back to your screen for a moment. How can we overcome negative thoughts and negative attitude? One, be in the Word. Can't emphasize this too much. First of a new year, another good beginning. And if, you don't, if you're not in a Bible study now, I recommend you... Read through the book of John and then just keep going right through the New Testament. Read the book of the Psalms, read the book of Proverbs, and uh, read one chapter a day through this year. Don't give up. Keep going. If you miss a day, don't say, well, I've already messed up now. Just start over. Just start in the next chapter and keep going. Keep going. Be in the Word. It says here that the word, it's the Word, it's the God-breathed Word that changes us, molds us, makes us in righteousness or right living, right thinking. So, be in the Word. Two, be, be thankful. Give thanks all the time. Just start thanking God for things that you have and see. Make it a habit, become a habit of life of being thankful. When you pull into your driveway, thank the Lord for your house. When you take a shower, thank the Lord for warm water. 
when you see your children, when you see your mate, be thankful and tell the Lord this all day, through the day. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, in all things, all things, give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is God's will for you. And it'll help drive out those negative thoughts. And then the last thought is this. Be deliberate about putting negative thoughts out of your mind. Pray about it. Ask the Lord to help you get rid of those negative thoughts. And then work at it. Don't just try it one day and say it didn't work. Work at it. In, in this great passage here in Philippians, we're told to rejoice in the Lord always. And we're told to bring everything before the Lord in prayer with thanksgiving. And then in verse 9 it says to th think on these things, things that are true and good and pure and right and fill our mind with positive things, things we're thankful for. And it will drive out all of those negative thoughts. And so this year the Lord may work on you so that you can find that everything you need you already have. I read a quote, I think I can quote it pretty close to exactly right. When it comes to your worth, somebody said, it's only when you take away all your money that you can tell what you're worth. We have everything we need in Christ to be happy, to be joyous, to have peace to serve, to love, to live a life of purpose. Everything we have in Christ. I close with this true story again, of course, of but a, a woman by the name of Linda DeFew. She was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and it was coming on her quick and causing crippling problems and she had another physical problem as well. This caused her to have several surgeries and then she lost her job because she couldn't continue to work as a, as a law secretary. She began to keep a journal about her, her walk, her, uh, her life, her journey. And as she thumbed back through it, she realized that all, everything she wrote down was negative. It was all negative stuff. Then she said, and I quote, dwelling on my problems would only make me worse. So she, as difficult as it seemed, she began to find things to thank the Lord for, to be thankful. And there were a lot of them, she said. Once she started looking, there was a lot of them. She, and then she wrote, In my Bible studies, I was influenced by the wisdom of King Solomon. She was also in the Word. King Solomon says in Proverbs 17, 22, she, she paraphrases it now. She said, He gave me two choices. Live a cheerful life and enjoy good health or allow a broken spirit to dry up my bones. I decided I'd go with the first one. I began that day to accept my disability and vowed 
to go on with my life. Later, she went back to college. She had, her hands were so crippled, she had to use a, a big pencil, and she and had an eraser on the end, and she typed on her computer with that big eraser, a big fat pencil. And she finished college. Pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. It's amazing what the Lord can do through His people. And she read her Bible constantly. She said, I noticed I was smiling more even when I didn't feel like it. She said, instead of dwelling on what I couldn't do, I woke up each morning with a welcome wave of optimism. Despite my handicap, I was seen each day as an opportunity to serve the Lord and to move forward. Be in the Word. Be thankful. And be deliberate about putting those negative thoughts and attitudes out of your life. It may well be the best year of your life if you will do those three things. You know, we watch a little clip. This is just two minutes. And as I've been saying, it may have looked something like this. Let's watch it. A man named Lazarus, who lived in Bethany, became sick. Bethany was the town where Mary and her sister Martha lived. This Mary was the one who poured the perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. The sisters sent Jesus the message. Lord, your dear friend is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, the final result of this sickness will not be the death of Lazarus. This has happened in order to bring glory to God, and it will be the means by which the Son of God will receive glory. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he received the news that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Teacher, just a short time ago, the people there wanted to stone you. And are you planning to go back? A day has 12 hours, doesn't it? So those who walk in broad daylight do not stumble, for they see the light of this world. But if they walk during the night, they stumble because they have no light. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and wake him up. If he is asleep, Lord, he will get well. Jesus meant that Lazarus had died, but they thought he meant natural sleep, so Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But for your sake, I am glad that I was not with him, so that you will believe. Let us go to him. Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us all go along with the teacher, so that we may die with him. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, either you're here or maybe online, we encourage you to 
to call the church, leave a message. We'll get back with you. Somebody will answer your questions, pray with you. Or there is also a gift card on, online. You can fill out that gift card. Or you can call me or one of the other pastors. We'd be glad to help you. We would love to help you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And know that heaven is your home forever. Pray with me. Father, teach us not to be like Thomas, negative and pessimistic about life and things and you and your service. But may each of us this year get in the Word. And may each of us learn to be thankful and develop that habit. And may we be deliberate about putting away negative thoughts. And in doing so, may we, each of us, more than we ever have before this year, come to realize everything we need, Lord, is in you. We already have you. We have everything we need to live successfully, happy, joyous lives. Teach us, mold us, make us. May this be a great year. It may be difficult in many ways, but may it be a great year in spiritual growth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And Pastor Jason is coming with a request and announcements.